This week I have the pleasure of talking with Teresa Pollard from New Zealand. Listen in as Teresa talks about the importance of curiosity when being a mentor. At the grassroots level, what's most important is, are you curious enough to want to learn about someone else? Are you curious enough to ask different questions to help you realise that this isn't just a one-way exercise. Mentorship is a two-way exercise for both of you to learn from each other. It just that happens that one, you know, one person's in one position, don't mean a title, but they're in one position in one place in their life and another one's in another. And so it's a combination of those things. In today's episode, I'm excited to chat with Teresa Pollard. Teresa is a purpose-led leader with an entrepreneurial focus and 20 years in sales, marketing, and technology, leading executive engagements and diverse teams in New Zealand, Singapore, and New York. Teresa hails from Auckland, is of Maori descent, and is a proud role model for rangatahi, young people across the country to follow a pathway that is both fulfilling and prosperous encourages them to join the world of business and technology. Teresa leads the strategic partnerships portfolio for Datacom, bringing together community, iwi and ecosystem partnerships that deliver impact and alignment to Datacom's purpose and values. Datacom is New Zealand's largest technology services company with over 6,500 staff across New Zealand, Australia and Asia. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you, and kia ora to everyone. Pleasure to be here. Teresa, you've been in various sales roles and leadership in the technology realm for some time. How did that storyline start for you? Um, in fact, it started actually by accident. I'd done the kind of normal thing, right, after school. I went to a university, did my commerce degree, worked on the help desk at university, doing some odd jobs and bits and bobs, um, and really enjoyed that. Finished my degree in business, which was in marketing and um and management, and then I, I kind of took a bit of a weird pivot at that stage where I um, I went to work at one of the biggest hospitals in Auckland, Middlemore Hospital, for my summer job, and that was working in emergency, um, helping out with administration and things behind the emergency counter, which at that stage was behind a huge cage because they had so much violence and things kind of going on that they had to protect the staff. And so you had to work behind a big cage, which was a, which is an interesting experience. So I worked there for a few months and I saw some pretty, uh, pretty hard to deal with things, to be honest, um, for families and whanau across New Zealand. And then as a result of that, got to know the doctors and, and the nurses, obviously, um, through the work that I did. And they, they said to me, you should apply for medicine. And I was like, what? I hadn't really kind of thought about medicine. Um, so yeah, kind of went through that process and then got accepted for medical school at Auckland. Um, and I'd you know done a year science degree and all the pre-med and all the rest of it to kind of get accepted and then went to medical school and did that for a few years and then um, had a bit of a family episode where um, one of my family got sick um, during that time and you know I just kind of lost the whole world for it to be honest. Um, and I kind of finished up um, halfway through. So. At that stage, I had obviously done my commerce degree as well. And a friend of mine had said to me, hey, why don't you um, come and join us at um, Konica Minolta? I kind of worked in in marketing at the time when I was kind of younger and then into Fuji Xerox and sales. And I I just went, okay, because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, to be honest. Um, So I kind of went into that. And then from then on, I just found it very easy. 
I didn't find it a struggle at all and did that for a couple of years and then got selected for an international executive training program in Asia. And that's kind of how I ended up in Singapore, leading teams up there across the Singapore office and then right across Asia. Um, And then met my husband in Singapore. He's from England. And then we made ourselves over to New York because he um, got offered a role in Manhattan. So we went to live there for a couple of years, which was very hard, of course, to live in Manhattan. It's a challenge, but you know, someone's got to do it. And then I um, ran teams out of New York. And that's kind of how it's kind of happened from then on, to be honest. And just kind of found my love for technology, found my love for, for sales and marketing and for really kind of leading strong, trusted strategic relationships, basically. And that's kind of how I found my way to what I do now. So you're in strategic partnerships now, but that seems like a bit of a pivot away from sales. Why the change now? Well, in the last um, couple of years, I kind of I pivoted away a little. When I joined Datacom, I went to run the professional services teams across the, our regional offices. And that's kind of looking at everything from, you know, software development to all the kind of professional services and technology you can think of. So I ran that uh, for the first kind of year or so. And then I got asked to run all service lines and teams for our North Island business. So I did that last year through lockdown as well, which was an um, interesting challenge. So that was a, um, a big team across that, running all of our business there. And then that was uh, based, that role is based in our region. So I kind of traveled a lot. Every single week I traveled for a good six or seven month period. So that kind of, you know, had its toll on things. And my husband and, and our family wanted to stay living in the city in Auckland. So um, decided that it would be best for me to do another role and talk to our leadership about strategic partnerships and some of the gaps that I saw around really trying to balance balance that narrative of who we are as a company, where we're going, our purpose and our alignment and how that narrative really fits very squarely and centered in our sales narrative, right? And how we engage with our customers from a sales and customer perspective. So that's kind of how I kind of fell into strategic partnerships itself, really, because I understand sales so well. And um, I sit kind of in this weird um, position between kind of sales and marketing at the moment. So I kind of have a bit of a bridge across both. I can help us really look at partnerships in a really distinct way and how we can bring those partnerships to help us align closer to our most strategic customers because they really care about these partnerships as well. And they really care about impact and they really care about working together to collectivize impact together. So that's, that's kind of what I do now. I sit not only on this ESG thing that people kind of talk about, which usually sits on the side of an organization, kind of off on the wing. I've uh, taken that wing and kind of brought it deep front and center into our sales and marketing organization to make sure that they understand these things. And not only as we sell things, but we understand, we listen, we learn, we ask the right questions. We're curious to understand a broader set of KPIs and goals for our customers to help us really embed why technology or the things that we sell at Datacom um, are good for them to purchase not only, but also how can we balance that with driving impact at the same time. So that's kind of, I bring them both together. I'll come back to the the word you used there a couple of times, impact, but you also hold a number of board member and advisory type positions. And what stands out a bit for me is your drive to mentor and educate young people. Um, but the one that caught my eye was the work that you do with Take Two with people in the prison system. Can you tell me about that and and why you're part of that? Yes, yeah, so a little bit about Take Two. They are a um, so 
uh, they're the kind of New Zealand subsidiary. It's an international organization, actually. It's run under a couple of different names, but started in the US and the UK. And um, was a group of people who were very focused on second chances for those who've made, you know, bad choices at one stage of their life. And they have been incarcerated as a result of that. Making sure that they have another chance, right, to be successful and prosperous in our communities. Um, I think we all should have a vested interest in making sure that, you know, we don't just throw away the key for everyone, um, that there's an opportunity for those to um, reintegrate back into society in a really meaningful way. So I learned about Take Two maybe three years ago or so um, with Cameron, who's the CE, really young guy who was um, who was on his pathway to become an investment banker, in fact, very, very smart and very, very capable and decided to pivot away from that and lead this organisation, Led on Purpose, which is an amazing inspiration in itself, actually. Um, and so now there's a team of us that have helped him to kind of stand up um, this service within um, one of the major prisons in South Auckland, um, South Auckland Corrections. And we've had a program running in there for the last, uh, it's been live for about a year now, supported by the New Zealand Corrections Agency as well, and full support of it, which is amazing. And we teach men there how to do web design, how to do basic software engineering and coding within the prison itself, and helping to prepare these men for what it will be like on the outside to take a, a meaningful job. Right, something that's more higher paid, higher, highly skilled and sought after to give them much more opportunities. So, yeah, that's been um, something that I, I'm very, very proud of and I'm honoured to work um, to support um, that initiative. And I've met those men. I've been into the prison. I've sat with them. I've listened to their stories. I've understand where they've come from. And, you know, just to listen to these men and understand where they've come from. Of the 10 men that are in this, only one of them has ever had a job before. They've just been raised in very challenging environments, right? Without role models, without the right care. They've never, most of them have never been supported or told that they were good enough ever in their whole life. And we've got men here that are, you know, age 20 right up to 45. But when you talk to them, there's no fear there. A lot of vulnerability, right? A lot of, a lot of ripping back the onion, a lot of realization of who they are and a choice that they made, but a really humbleness to really see that there's others in society who really want to support them, who want them, want to see them become successful and to be reconnected with their families, their whānau, in a really um, impactful way. So, yeah, we're about to scale that up. It's getting such good support. We're putting a second classroom into the corrections facility. We're looking to scale that across the country. And we're looking to do community delivery of uh, technology labs in the community to help service, you know, work on projects for employers. Um, and Datacom and self have been a huge supporter and the leadership at Datacom have been amazing. And we're going to, um, there's uh, us and a few others, large corporates in New Zealand who are going to take the first cohort of interns from the prison, you know, into, into the companies and help them reintegrate back into working, which will be amazing. It sounds like an amazing initiative and, and kudos to you and, and to the team doing that. To be a mentor, to be a good mentor, you know, as you say, it sort of involves a bit of listening. So hearing people's story, peeling back the layers, as you say, and just finding where those sort of root causes are. And then often part of that process is sort of reflecting back on your own life and, you know, the stories that sort of evolve through through your eyes and, and you know, reflecting that back with them and helping them along their path. And so stories are often a, a big way to, or a, a, a great tool to actually use to, to explain an idea or a concept. How important 
is storytelling to you um, and is it a tool that you use purposefully accidentally um, and and what does that look like for you it's interesting actually because um and in the beginning of when I started kind of doing mentoring and going around talking at schools and talking lots of you know in front of different groups it was kind of accidental to be honest because I would I would you know obviously my story is my story right on how I kind of came to be where I am today and, and I do adapt that in different ways based on, you know, the audience and what I think is going to be helpful for them um, and key points that I think would be good takeaways. But a lot of that storytelling I have learned to do well and even better by listening more to others and really understanding where, that, where they have come from. And, you know, whether it's adversity or whatever it is that they may have faced, right? We all have our, all of our challenges that we face throughout life. Um, a lot of that is just collectivizing those in different ways and being able to find ways that help people through different stages of their life and those things change of course as we get older and we move through our own different stages of our life yeah I've just kind of learned to do that better and better and I'm still continuing to learn how to do that better to be completely honest and I learn something new from every single person that I speak to to be completely honest in terms of their story and where they've come from and what they're trying to face um, which is a real privilege um, to be able to do that so I know you've done a lot of keynote presentations, for example. I know you've have been a part of you know panel discussions, et cetera. Do you do any other sort of publicly visible type, you know, content creation? Do you do you write for anyone? Do you appear on anything other than these types of things that um, that you get invited to? No, not yet. I've been asked, I suppose, a couple of times to think about, you know, do I want to kind of write a blog or do I want to do something else and I'm still kind of learning about some of those things, you know, their whole writing capability and communication doesn't come typically naturally to me from a writing pen and paper type person. So I'm just kind of learning about those things kind of more and more, but that's something that I see myself probably leaning into more in the future as I, you know, understand more about the, the positivity of a platform, right? And how you can connect with others to help them realize or think about different things in a different way, depending on what it is that they're facing. And different questions that people have, right? I think mentorship's an, an interesting thing and being able to talk to people and, and different diverse audiences also um, helps me to understand these things better. But when it comes to mentorship, you know, there's a lot of formulas people talk about, you know, you should do it this way, you should do it that way, and it should be in this framework and all these types of things. But at the grassroots level, what's most important is are you curious enough to want to learn about someone else? Are you curious enough to ask different questions to help you realize that this isn't just a one-way exercise? Mentorship is a two-way exercise for both of you to learn from each other. It just that happens that one, you know, one person's in one position. Don't mean a title, but they're in one position in one place in their life, and another one's in another. And so it's a combination of those things. And what I found too, in terms of my own mentors, and I have a few mentors myself um, that are all quite different. They're not the same type of mentor, which I think is quite interesting, is that um, I go to them for different things because they have expertise or knowledge or an association with one set of um, one set of knowledge um, versus another. What we find, too, is that with these mentors, and I'm very privileged to have them, that they don't see this at all as one way. They absolutely see this as two way. Um, and they learn lots from that as well, which is awesome. So I learn lots of things from them to then help to pass on to others where I can learn from others as I mentor other people. So, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Paying it forward. Yeah. 
So I'm always curious about the sort of chicken and egg uh, sort of question. Do you think, in your opinion or in your journey, have you been invited to do keynote speaking, be on these panels, be part of these boards because you've done public speaking, because you've done other things in that area, or is it driven from a different direction? Like, do you get asked, you know, perhaps to to be part of a board because of somebody you know, as opposed to somebody who's seen you speak or has seen you being part of another board? You know, and is that so self-fulfilling to some degree over time? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I was just trying to think about the board roles that I have at the moment. They've all come quite similarly. So I haven't I mean, I've, I've applied for them officially, but I've actually got, you know, asked to apply for them because someone knows me or uh, a mentor, an association that I have as part of my network has said, hey, would you be interested in this? Because we think this is going to align with, you know, your values and what you're trying to do and the impact that we believe you're trying to make. So that's kind of how it's happened. It's not like I've gone on to seek, you know what I mean, and, and filled up my CV and, you know, attached it to different board roles. What I found, as I say, a lot of um, the board roles that I have fell into um, have been a process of nomination, which is quite typical, as I've understood, through this kind of board process. You know, at the end of the day, too, uh, if you're interested in kind of going and following a board-type career, it's good to kind of assess who you are as a profile and a person, right, and the expertise that you think you can bring to a board. So for me, a lot of those, the reasons I've been chosen or nominated and then chosen as is because of my experience in technology. So that's been definitely something that's um, been of interest because a lot of boards um, still don't have that as a specialty. Um, so that whole digital adoption, um, what does digital technology look like to empower that entity, whatever it may be. Um, in New Zealand, there's a big association to make sure that we've got people that are of tangata whenua, like of, of Māori whakapapa, um, representing on different boards to make sure there's diversity. But with that, you know, there's always a positive and negative. So, you know, a lot of my colleagues and I who are Māori talk about these things a lot, that we don't just go jump on a board just because you're Māori. It's about can we make a real, you know, conscious difference to what it is that this entity is trying to do. Um, it's not a box-ticking exercise by any means, and it's it's not for me. Um, so I'm very I'm conscious of the boards that I have chosen up until now and the belief they have in those boards and the contribution that I think that I can really, really make. And the learning that I think that I can get from others that are on that board already as well, or what it is that I think that I can pass on to them through that process. So it's a real dual process um, as well. When I read your LinkedIn profile, I see a lot of words like helping, developing, coaching, guiding. It seems your work is, is more than just making a living and you appear to have a purpose. What drives you to lead with purpose and not just profit? I think that um, a lot of that comes down to um, my heritage too. So in, in Māori culture, when you, as you rise through the ranks of what it is that you're doing, you come to the stage where you are a role model for others and creating a legacy for those who will come after you. Um, and so we, there's a lot of Māori words that describe that. And we talk about um, kaitiakitanga, which is about guardianship of others. Um, of what has happened before and what will come in the future and what happens now. So a real um, awareness for some of these things. So that's really important to me that I represent um, what we call our tupuna, right? Those who are my elders that have come a long time before me who faced other adversities that I don't face today. 
whereby when equity is still an issue across different community groups, it's my role, my obligation, right? My, uh, my role to be able to stand up and role model for others so that they can have just as much opportunity as this that have been given to me. And, and my parents, the sacrifices and compromises they made for me and my grandparents and so forth. So that's very, very important. Um, so that's probably number one. Um, number two is, is leading, for me, leaving a, a legacy of, of purpose, right? At the end of the day, um, I want to know that I've helped to contribute and drive change. Um, I'm a big driver of change wherever I can. I love change, actually. I get bored if things are not changing, um, to be honest. So I, I like to look at different innovative ways to be able to bring out change that's going to be really helpful to others, help us move into another another realm of, of difference in a good way, right? That can help push the boundaries to help stretch our thinking and help us think differently about what can be. And as I say, equity is always at the center of that. So that's probably the second thing. And thirdly, um, I'm a true believer in balancing, right? Profit and purpose. So there's a lot of work at the moment um, around B Corp certification, around business for good, around um, how can business be a lever, right? Into, into opportunities that can drive impact. And I'm a true believer in that. So, and I think in in a post-COVID world, and who knows what that means, post-COVID, because, you know, COVID's going to be around for a long, long time. But many people have faced adversities of many, many kinds. And I really do feel that in the, since the lockdown really happened last year and we continue to face these things across the world, what's most important that I find from uh, my colleagues and from our customers Everyone wants to feel like they've made a difference to support someone else, right, in their community, to help their fellow neighbour. At the end of the day, we have to run commercial businesses to make sure they're sustainable. But at the same time, we can do that by collectivising impact together and making sure that we do the right thing as well, right? So, um, so I think there's a real, a real combination of things, and that, those things are really, really important to me. Standing up for others who don't have a voice, being a role model for others to help them have a platform, pushing others out in front to make sure that they can speak and provide their opinion um, on things, providing different um, solutions, problem solving in different ways, um, making sure that all our diverse communities, our young people um, get the voice that they should have because, you know, our, our world is changing very, very quickly and everyone has a role to contribute into a better future, right? Those are the things that really make a difference to me. I think what you've described there is a, is a absolutely wonderful firstly and inspiring just to hear it um, in the way you've just described it I love the idea of balancing profit but with diversity with uh, with opportunity with purpose you know mixing in all the the ethical side of of business as much you know sustainability uh, all of those things are really important for our future, as you say, and, and making sure that everybody has the opportunity. I think it's just beautifully articulated and thank you. And clearly, I think you've already, you know, well on the way to leaving a, a fabulous legacy. Um, I'm interested to hear a little bit about the work that you're doing with the youth um, and what does what does that sound like? What does that look like? A lot of that work, I have to say, is, is, is um, supporting others, right, and the amazing work that is already done in our communities. So I, I, I support by working with a lot of our young people across the country through linking up with other community groups, right, who are already doing amazing work. Another thing that I'm a big advocate for is not replicating where we don't need to replicate, right? It's about finding um, great 
examples of service and opportunity to others and there's many in the community that you can attach yourself to and I'm really um, I feel very lucky and very privileged to be part of a network of amazing people who do this on a daily basis right there's a couple of groups um, who I work with one is um, an entity called Kormawi Hangaro um, and that's about two amazing leaders from the Bay of Plenty in New Zealand Lee and Athena who kind of created this organization some years ago to really wrap around young people um, and predominantly young Māori who um, have a lot of the time been disadvantaged in a lot of ways in regional communities and making sure that they see themselves um, having the greatest opportunity, right, by seeing themselves and others like me and, and others who have been just like them and who were just like them and have, you know, had a, an amazing and wonderful career to date and who we want to look backwards and look by, sideways with them as well and hold hand, held hands with them and bring them into what it is that we're kind of doing going forward. That kind of takes the form of, you know, doing speeches with young people and um, going to talk at kind of um, career fairs and um, going to sit in classrooms and listen to what, you know, kids are worried about and thinking about and going to talk to our parents and going to talk to career advisors and getting young people to come into the workplace and do mentoring days and yeah, lots of different things like that um, really. And there's a, as I say, amazing work being done across the country, which is awesome. So yeah, I just kind of wrap myself around all those things. So you, you said that you don't publicly, you know, do any writing or, or anything out in, in the public zone in that regard, you know, blogging, et cetera. But, Clearly, you found a space to tell your story, you know, amongst all of these different, you know, mentoring and boards and, you know, opportunities to, to speak is, you know, a way of getting your message out, which I applaud you for. Um, you know, you've, you're holding down a, a full-time job. You're a board member. You're a mentor across a number of different areas. You're a public speaker. You're a mum. You're a wife. How you know? Do you have any tips for those that um, look at that and go, "Wow, how do you find the time to be that productive?" And you know, is there a balance in your life? Have you managed to to find the the lucky strike? Oh, I'd love to say I'm always chasing. I'm chasing the method myself. If I'm completely honest, especially through our lockdown, it's um, a little challenging a lot of the time. But I think it's about. Um, and I, I haven't always been good at this, if I'm completely honest. So this is about, you know, this is about growth and stretch as you kind of get older and realize what it is that you think you can do well at. And well, I mean, and supporting others, right, to really make a demonstrable difference versus just, you know, being across too many things that you can't really make a difference to whatsoever. Um, and as I've kind of got older, as I say, this is why I've been much more conscious about the things that I choose to give my time to, knowing that I also have my whānau, my family, right? Um, and the time that I must give to them. So as, as I say, as I've got older, I've realised um, family comes first, number one, right? And then a lot of my impact priorities to the work that I do in community second and work's kind of third to that, right? It's kind of changes around. It doesn't mean that it's in a pecking order by any means, but those are the things that matter most because, you know, your family should be the number one kind of thing in your life. So it is very challenging. Um, I don't... Uh, it's not easy a lot of the time, so I'm not going to say it is because it, it isn't. But sometimes when you're exhausted at the end of the day and you've managed, you know, a few meetings and kids schooling and, you know, making your husband's lunch and, you know, 
picking up the dog poo at the same time and waiting for a courier driver to come at the front of the door. And, you know, this is my day yesterday. And then um, doing a board meeting and then managing things online as well with normal meetings. You come to the end of the day on some reflection, right, to kind of realize, was the time that I spent productive? Was it meaningful, right? Did it deliver impact? Are my family happy? Are my children happy? Are they feeling loved? Are they feeling safe? And did I actually make a small step forward in making a difference in someone's life today, right, to help them make a, another choice in what it is that they're doing? And if so, then it's all worth it, right? And so that, make, that makes me feel good. Knowing how busy you are and hearing all of that, um, I feel honoured and privileged that you've made the time to spend with me today. Um, and I think that was a, a beautiful sort of finishing uh, point to, to end on. But I do have one final question that I do like to ask my guests. And that is if someone was to give you a million dollars to pick your brain, but you only had a few minutes to impart your wisdom, what might that sound like? Oh, interesting question. Someone's going to give me a million dollars to impart some wisdom. God, firstly, I don't even know if I've, I'm, I'm worth a million dollars in wisdom, to be completely honest. At the end of the day, money comes and goes in one's life, so I don't really think that that's, uh, that's the uh, all and end all. Um, I would be more interested in talking to someone about the fact that what matters most, right, is your family, your safety, your health and well-being of those around you, the contribution that you make to them, right? Your children, your parents, um, your husband and your wife, the family that's around you to help them to support them to be where they need to be and what they need going forward. And secondly, if you can do one thing that can help your fellow neighbour or someone in your community, you should do it. Because you know what? It's the right thing to do and it makes you feel great and it makes them feel great and what a greater place it would be if everyone could do that. I think the world would be a much better place and I thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people find out a little bit more about you? Uh, don't have a website or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, Teresa Pollard. Happy to chat, you know. Um, if people were interested in kind of learning more or got any kind of questions, please, you know, message me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect and, um, and step you onto the broader network. And as I say... I'm always getting lots of um, connects from different people who are interested in different things and I'm more than happy to um, open up my network to others who um, who I think would be um, great for them to connect to as well. So thank you very much for the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, as we say in New Zealand, namahi nui ki katoa, which means thank you and greetings and thank you for your time. Thank you, Teresa. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Teresa is an inspiring leader and is driven by her deep-rooted Maori culture, a purpose-driven role model who works hard daily to guide the next generation and make a real difference. I think we can all learn something from Teresa's passion and priorities. Much love. Chat soon.